Let us sum up our inquiry on the plurality of persons in the Godhead from the Old and New Testament. What do we know, therefore, about the Trinity and unity of the Godhead from the Bible? We have seen that in the Old Testament there was clear, definite assertion of the plurality of persons in the Godhead and an indication of the Trinity. When we came to the New Testament, we saw beyond any question the clear assertion of the Trinity in the personages of the Godhead. Now then, we also have this fact revealed that this Trinity is also a unity. How are we to reconcile these two terms? First of all, let us look at some of the scriptures relating to the unity of God. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3, we have this declaration of the first commandment. You recall Moses had been with God for 40 days on the mount and had received these tremendous declarations. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Here we have the singular pronoun. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verses 35 and 39, here Moses is rehearsing the events that God had led him into in the giving of the law. Unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord he is God. There is none else beside him. Know therefore this day and consider it in thine heart that the Lord he is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath. There is none else. And in the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy, we have that great assertion that is again and again referred to. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You recall that our Lord Jesus Christ quoted this great passage from the Old Testament in the twelfth chapter of Mark and verse 29. There one had asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Here we have a positive assertion of the unity of the Godhead. Isaiah has several clear passages on the unity of the Godhead. Let us read first uh, chapter 43 and verses 10 and 11. Here this great prophet asserts this tremendous truth. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. And in chapter 44 and verse 6, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And in chapter 45 and verse 5, I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. Here is a positive assertion. But someone has pointed out this important fact. 
that the Hebrew word for one in the absolute sense, as used in such passages as we have discussed, is not the word to express the simple unity. But, on the other hand, it is the word which expresses or denotes a compound unity. And this is the word that's used in referring to the Godhead. And so this leaves room for our wonderful concept of the Trinity and at the same time a profound unity. Our Lord Jesus Christ in the 10th chapter of John referred to his equality with the Father. I and my Father are one, asserting the unity of God. And in the 14th chapter of John's Gospel and verse 9 he declared, he that has seen me has seen the Father, asserting his own unity with the Father. And the 17th chapter of John's Gospel, this great high priestly prayer of our Lord Jesus. And verse 3, And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And in verses 21 to 23, we have probably the most clear passage in the New Testament on the unity of God. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Here we have the oneness, and at the same time the plurality. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Here we have the oneness of the Trinity, a great glorious comparison to the spiritual oneness of humble believers in Christ. So we have declared in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28 something of the great oneness of believers. Now this is not any kind of a church membership. Here is a glorious spiritual animation of the believers because it's revealed here, for example, in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, but ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, we are told that we are baptized into one body by the Holy Spirit of God. So the salvation of the New Testament is a profound relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so a oneness springs up in those who are truly born of the Spirit. They are animated by the same mighty Spirit of God. And our Lord Jesus Christ used this oneness as an illustration of the oneness that exists between himself and the Father. This is a profound unraveling of this great mystery that has troubled so many down through the centuries of church history. In Acts chapter 17 and verses 24 to 29, the apostle is preaching at Athens, this great seat of learning. 
And God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, and so forth. Verse 27, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they may feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by the art of man's device. So here we have the pronoun he, we have Lord, we have God, we have the Godhead. But there is an assertion of the oneness. In 1 Corinthians 8, 4, we have, there is none other God but one. In Galatians 3:20, we have the assertion, God is one. In James 2.19, we have, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. So here, beyond question, is the biblical assertion of the unity of God. And yet we have seen a clear-cut presentation of the Trinity of God. Evidently, from the foregoing study, it is proper to refer to the Godhead in both the plural and the singular. The plural is proper, because there are three personalities so distinct that they may perform definite functions and actions separately. Of this there can be no doubt if language is to have any proper meaning. And yet there is a profound unity between the members of the Godhead. Evidently this is a compound unity, where the plural Elohim, for example, in Genesis 1.1, relates to a plurality in the great personality of God. And yet there is possible such a united action that a singular verb could be used in the creation of the world. When one studies the long creedal discussions of the early centuries of the Christian church, one is impressed by the endless complication of language. Evidently, there must be a leaning in one of two directions. A strict and rigid oneness certainly rules out any tenable concept of personality. But personal functions there are, on every hand, of such a nature that the son could pray, for example in agony, in the garden, that he could go to the cross and suffer alone for the redemption of the world. We must, it appears, lean away from an elementary concept of unity into the realm of a compound unity. This is permissible from Old Testament usage and is especially supported by our Lord's own words in his great high priestly prayer, as has been quoted in John 17, verses 21 to 23. Here he likened the unity subsisting between himself and the Father to the most intimate of all human relations, the spiritual oneness between himself and the true church. This is called the relationship of the bride to the bridegroom, Christ being the bridegroom. And also this great oneness between fellow believers by virtue of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There is a oneness of heart and mind produced by a single animating force of the Holy Spirit of God. 
It is Christ in you, the hope of glory, the Apostle Paul declared. The concept of salvation is elevated thereby, and the profound nature of the glorious Trinity somewhat exposed to our limited vision. O oh, thou blessed God, how thankful we are to thee that thou hast enlightened our minds through the Bible, thy precious word. How we thank thee for the impartation of some knowledge of thy great being. We thank thee, our Heavenly Father, for thy movement of love and for thy willingness to forgive. We thank thee, blessed Jesus, our precious Lord, because thou didst come into the world to die for sinners, to give thy life a ransom. We thank thee, blessed Holy Spirit, for thy sanctifying work, thy convicting work, that we might through the cross of Jesus be purified by faith, having repented of our sins. May many avail themselves of thy great mercy this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.